0: Is this the way I'm going to die in a fire on Christmas Day? Is this how life ends for me? My name is Don Thompson, and I put fear on hold when I rescued a person from a burning vehicle.
1: this story takes place in west hills california a residential suburban community in the city of los angeles don thompson was home getting ready to go to work little did he know that his decision to go in a little early would impact the life of a man he had never met before
0: that was a somewhat unusual christmas from the very beginning We usually have a tree, large tree up with presents everywhere. But this Christmas was very, very uneventful. I had dropped my daughter off at her best friend's home. At the time, my daughter was 13. And I was at home preparing to go to work. And I said to myself, well, nothing's going on. Really quiet Christmas. The wife is at work. She's a general manager at a restaurant. And uh, I decided to myself... Why don't I just go into work a bit early to relieve the guys who uh, are working their day shift so they can go home and see their families because there's really nothing going on in my household. So I hopped in the vehicle and headed off to work.
1: The 101 and the 405 are freeways that Don took when he went to work. The Sepulveda grade that he mentions is a steep mountain pass that connects the Los Angeles Basin to the San Fernando Valley.
0: I was transitioning from the 101 to the southbound 405, about to go up what we call the Sepulveda grade, which is uh, the the San Fernando Valley. As I uh, entered the 405, I was just saying to myself, wow, Christmas Day, not much traffic at all. Traffic is really, really moving. And I looked up at oncoming traffic about a half a mile away. And I saw this vehicle, which was a black Mercedes-Benz station wagon. I saw it collide with the retaining wall. On the east side of the 405 freeway, there's a huge retaining wall. And that car hit the wall so hard, I, I couldn't believe it. And it, it, it bounced off the wall, careened off the wall, and it crossed all the lanes of the 405 at full speed. 55 to 60 miles an hour and I'm thinking to myself am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? So it careens all the way across and as soon as it hits that center divider there's a huge spark and it rides up for a bit and then boom a ball of fire appears from the back of the car and I said to myself wow I'm I'm sure that gas tank just ruptured because it was just a ball of fire now and it was sliding uh, along the center divider towards me. I had to collect my, my thoughts. I said, is this actually happening? Because this doesn't look real. And this car is coming towards me, and it came to a stop. And the first thing that came to my mind was, I've got to get to that car because whoever is in that car, they're not going to be able to get out.
1: On his way to spend Christmas Day with relatives, was off-duty fire battalion chief Glenn Mayagashima. After arriving on the scene, Glenn began alerting nearby fire departments on the fastest routes to the accident.
2: I made the bend around there, and then I saw the auto fire. I started to pull over. Traffic was slowing down. And by then, I think Don was already in action.
1: As he went to help the motorist, Don had to climb over the concrete center barrier, called K-Rails in California.
0: So I jumped out of the vehicle, ran to the car, and that's when I started feeling that radiant heat. Usually when a car is ultimately totally involved in fire, it usually starts off as a small fire and gradually grows. This one, it was within a couple of seconds, boom, a huge ball of fire. I think the flames were, I would guess, anywhere from 20 to 30 feet high. And the Best words to describe what it felt like is actually saying there are no words to describe it.
2: I looked to the left, and I could feel the heat. I was probably only about 30 feet away, and I was off-duty. I didn't have my good turnout coat and my helmet and my gloves, and I go, my goodness, it is hot, you know? So I told my wife, I want to move the car because I really thought it was going to get singed by the radiant heat. The heat is...
0: It's just phenomenal how much heat that you're feeling. It, it is just not making sense. When I try to tell people what it's like, I tell them, well, have you ever been out on a barbecue and you open up your barbecue lid too fast and it flames up in your face? You feel that, don't you? Yeah. Well, imagine about maybe 25 or 35 of those right in your face Continuously flaming up in your face, that's probably the best way I can describe what it felt like.
1: According to the Federal Emergency Management Agency, a vehicle fire can generate heat up to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit, and flames from a burning vehicle can shoot out distances of 10 feet or more.
0: It was just unbelievable, the heat. But, you know, knowing that there was someone in there, I had to do what I could do so first of all I jumped over to K-rails to get to the vehicle and once I was at the vehicle I forced the driver door open because the front driver side of the vehicle was was severely damaged from impacting that K-rail I pulled the door really hard to get it open and as I was pulling it there was still so much fire right in my face And there was fire coming up from the ground, more than likely from gasoline that was leaking from the vehicle. And I said to myself, I don't think I can get inside this door directly.
1: Don quickly surveyed the scene to determine how many people were in the car.
0: Okay, I've got one person in the vehicle, unconscious. So for a split second, I thought, okay, I think I can do this. So... I reach in, and I start grabbing for that seatbelt release.
1: The simple act of releasing a seatbelt is something we all do without thinking. Now imagine doing it in the midst of an inferno, reaching across a person who is unconscious, with only seconds to spare.
0: And I'm fumbling around with this seatbelt release. The driver was unconscious, so he was slumped against the center console, which makes it very difficult to reach in against the person in the seatbelt latch. So I felt, and I felt the latch, and I'm thinking, okay, how does this latch release? Is it a straight down push? Is it a side push? What do I do? And I'm fumbling with it. All the while, the heat is just burning me and burning me.
1: Again, Fire Battalion Chief Glenn Mayagashima.
2: I could see the back of the car on fire, the engine compartment starting to catch fire, and I could see the billowing smoke, and I'm assuming he had his seatbelt on. So,
0: I was starting to get tunnel vision. Initially, when I got to the car, I'm thinking, okay, what are all the options that you have? You can do this, you can do that, do this, do that, so this doesn't happen. But at that moment, when I was trying to get to that seatbelt release, that was the only mission I had. Because if I couldn't get that seatbelt release, it would have been all over. So I'm fumbling with it, and I'm fumbling with it, and I'm starting to get the tunnel vision. It's as if everything that you see and think about starts to shrink, and it becomes one point of focus. So I'm down to this point of get the seatbelt off, get the seatbelt off.
2: I call it the zone. You know, when you play sports, you know, if you're shooting a basket or if you're catching a football, things slow down. And it's it's almost like that, that tunnel vision, the cognitive aspect of, of the human body, you know, where you have to slow down and your mind somehow slows, but, you know, life continues at the same speed.
0: When things slow down, it's as if that sensation of heat that you're experiencing is also slowing down and it extended over a period of time i did manage to get the seat buckle off just before i got to that button and released it just a moment before something flashed in my head and it was the thought i said to myself just for i don't know a nanosecond i said is this the way I'm going to die in a fire on Christmas Day? Is this how? Is this? Is this how life ends for me? Um, it's kind of. I'm getting a little emotional going back, thinking about that. It's you know, it brings back some pretty, pretty tough memories. But as soon as that buckle released, that that tunnel opened up. It was just automatically, everything opened, and it was as if now I have options. I can do this, I can do that. So as soon as I got that buckle released, I stepped back around the door to the fully open side of the door, reached in, grabbed him, and just pulled him out.
1: Glenn Mayagashima.
2: And I I saw you and pulling the gentleman out of the car, and you were just reaching your hand into the window, was what I remember. You're reaching over to the window, and I, I don't know how you got the gentleman out, but you dislodged the door, and I saw you drag him out, right? And this is all within seconds.
0: I think the report said he weighed about 207 pounds, but honestly, he felt like he weighed two ounces because the adrenaline was really kicking in then so i grabbed him and pulled him out and turned him away from the fire with my back to the fire once i did that i saw two good samaritans that were on the other side of the k rail and they grabbed him and pulled him from me they took him from me
1: don thompson was nearly overcome by the toxic fumes of the fire by that time a small crowd had gathered at the scene and several people came to his aid.
0: Right after that, I was going to try to climb over the K-Rail. That heat and smoke had me a bit confused, but someone just grabbed me. I felt hands just grab me and just yank me over the the center divider or down onto the ground. As soon as I got down on the ground, I said, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, because I knew that fire isn't burning me now. I'm on the ground. I got this K-rail partially blocking that heat, that radiant heat. So they helped me up and walked me away back to an area where they had taken the uh, accident victim. They carried him because he was still unconscious, and to this day, he doesn't remember any of it.
1: The man that Don pulled out of the car was 72-year-old William McWhirter of Los Angeles who lost consciousness as a result of side effects from a new prescription medicine he had taken. A few months later, at a ceremony held by the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission, Mr. McWhirter got to meet the man who saved his life.
0: There was an award ceremony in Long Beach, and I met him face to face. And we looked at each other eye to eye, and he said, thank you for saving my life.
1: It was Christmas Day. A man crashes his car into a wall on the L.A. freeway, and his car explodes. An off-duty LAPD bomb squad officer just happens to be driving by. The difference between this man's life and death was literally seconds.
0: All I can say, it was almost perfect timing because if I had been maybe 10 to 15 seconds earlier, if I had gotten to that point, 10 or 15, I, I wouldn't have been able to turn around to get back to him. And if I had gotten to that point 15 seconds late, there just would have been too much fire because the entire car was totally engulfed by the time I pulled, the moment I pulled him out, the entire car uh, was in flames. It was as as if flames were sucked out behind him. His, his feet were on fire. Um, it... I I really, to this day, don't understand how that moment could coincidentally happen.
1: Don Thompson received a Carnegie Medal for his bravery that day. When the two men talked, they discovered they had a lot in common. Then Mr. McWhorter told Don a story that would stick with him for the rest of his life.
0: You know, at that uh, award ceremony, when I met the victim, he told me that He was from the same state that I was born in. Uh, We both were born and raised in the state of Ohio. At the time of the um, rescue, he was, I think, 72 years old. He told me that when he was a, a child, seven or eight years old, his best friend in the world was a girl named Molly, and Molly died as a child, and he told me that I came to him, I was basically sent by Molly as his guardian angel to protect him.
1: When Don learned about the Carnegie Hero Fund, he didn't think he belonged in the group.
0: I started reading about the heroes, the people who've saved others, those who've given their lives trying to save others. I was absolutely blown away. And I just said to myself, why are these people contacting me i i'm not worthy after hearing these stories of these people who uh, under so many different circumstances went out there and put it all on the line i said that's not me i these these people are are on an, another two or three levels above what i did this is why are you talking to me about this
1: although don was more than deserving of a carnegie medal he just felt like he was doing what he was supposed to do on that Christmas Day, which is the message that Andrew Carnegie wanted to send when he created this honor more than 100 years ago.
0: I still to this day don't feel like I'm worthy of being amongst those people because those, those people are, they're, they're amazing. They're, they're really special. Yeah, and I would never put myself amongst them. I'm, I look up to those people.
1: Heroes are often asked if they would do it again if they had the chance.
0: It's still hard to think about afterwards. It's you're thinking, did I really do that? And wow, would I be able to do it again? Someone asked me, "Would you, if that happened to you, would you do it again?" And I said, "Absolutely."
1: What is the definition of a hero? What does it take to shed our instinctive need to save ourselves and rush to help save the life of another? What does it mean to put fear on hold?
0: Fear is, is a healthy thing. When you are afraid, you put the fear off to the side. Realize the fear is there, but put that fear off to the side and do what you have to do to help someone. Many people who've never been in that situation, they see those who've committed heroic rescues, they think... Wow, I could never be that person, because that person, they were fearless. They didn't think about it, they just jumped in and did what they had to do. But I'm here to say, it's okay to be afraid, it's a part of being alive. It's something when you get a medal, a commendation, a citation, this, that or the other, but There's absolutely nothing that takes the place of someone looking you straight in the eye and saying, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me.
2: Thank you for listening to Fear on Hold. My name is Eric Zarin, and I'm president and chair of Andrew Carnegie's Hero Fund, the 100-year-old foundation that awards the Carnegie Medal, North America's highest civilian award for heroism. As president, I get to see the nominations of heroic acts that come in from across the United States and Canada. I'm constantly amazed at the extraordinary risk people willingly take on to save others, who are often strangers. Since 1904, we've awarded the Carnegie Medal to more than 10,000 people. This podcast is just a small sample of their incredible stories. Visit us at CarnegieHero.org.
1: Subscribe to hear other stories where heroes put their fear on hold, including Heidi Johnston of Willow Creek, California, who was sitting in her car with her kids having lunch and looking at the ocean when she saw a pickup truck speed past her and go right into the water. My name is Heidi Johnston, and I put fear on hold when I saved Eric Floyd from drowning in the bay at Eureka, California. These heroic stories are based on investigative reports made by the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission and the personal memories of medal recipients and witnesses. Fear on Hold was produced by Big Science Pods, Bill Garrison, and the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission. Funding was provided by the Carnegie Hero Fund. Original music by Big Science Music. Thank you to all of the heroes and witnesses who participated in this podcast. And a special thanks to all heroes everywhere. Past present, and future.